You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, February 15th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the latest NPR News headlines, we'll have the California Report from KQED Public Radio and National Native News, followed by a roundup of regional weather and news. We'll finish up with a topical poem of the week from Dr. Seneca Lofton. For their generous support of KVMR, we thank our business supporters, including Ben Franklin Crafts, locally owned and offering the beauty and color of spring. For arts and crafts, home decor, school projects, knitting, Ben Franklin Crafts is on Sutton Way, Grass Valley. Online, benfranklin-crafts.com. And Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions. On Searles Avenue, Nevada City, Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR. F-O-U-R-P-A-W-S-A-C.com. Here are the latest headlines from National Public Radio. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says Congress will establish an independent September 11th-style commission to look into the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol last month. It comes after former President Donald Trump's second impeachment trial ended an acquittal over the weekend. NPR's Tamara Keith says Trump, for his part, has been fairly quiet since leaving office. We know he's in Florida. He is laying low. His aides tell me that at this point he is not immediately planning to hold a post-acquittal event or press conference, but that could change. He hinted in the statement he put out over the weekend that he wants to continue to have a voice in politics. And if the past is a guide, he will likely try to exact revenge on those who weren't totally loyal to him 100% of the time. NPR's Tamara Keith, the Independent Commission, will also look at additional spending needed to boost security at the Capitol. The senior U.S. senator from North Carolina is facing condemnation from his own party after voting to convict Trump at the former president's impeachment trial this weekend. Rusty Jacobs of North Carolina Public Radio has more. Senator Richard Burr was one of seven Republican senators to join 50 Democrats in voting against the ex-president, still short of the two-thirds needed to convict Trump. Burr said House Democrats presented compelling evidence that Trump was guilty of inciting an insurrection against a co-equal branch of government when his supporters stormed the Capitol on January 6th. He initially opposed impeachment of a former officeholder on constitutional grounds. The state GOP's Central Committee is expected to vote tonight on whether to censure Burr. The third-term senator said five years ago he would not run again in 2022. For NPR News, I'm Rusty Jacobs in Durham, North Carolina. Educators in Georgia are not in the first priority group for COVID-19 vaccinations, but they are in Alabama. Georgia Public Broadcasting's Ellen Eldridge has more. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp said the vaccine supply is too small to give teachers access in the first phase. So some educators are making appointments across state lines. Debbie is a public school teacher in Georgia who asked not to use her last name. She says she will travel two and a half hours on Sunday to get vaccinated against COVID-19. So I don't feel like my district has protected me. Um, I don't feel like my governor has protected me. And I've done what I can to stay well. But, 
no, I don't feel like, you know, our lives matter. Debbie says she signed up on her first try on the Walmart website. For NPR News, I'm Ellen Eldridge in Atlanta. While U.S. financial markets are closed for the President's Day holiday, worldwide stocks started the week with a rally. European markets all closing higher after stocks advanced in Asia. Shanghai and Hong Kong were closed for the Lunar New Year. This is NPR. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced today that after nightly reductions in service to allow for cleaning since last May, New York City's subway system is moving one step closer to resuming its famed 24-hour service. More from NPR's Sally Herships. Beginning next Monday, subways will run until 2 a.m., close, then reopen at 4. Two hours less cleaning time than is happening nightly now. It's part of what Cuomo and MTA officials call a phased reopening. Cuomo has faced growing criticism for the closures. Advocates say the homeless depend on the trains at night. Essential workers have had to turn to other, often costlier, means of commuting. And growing evidence points to COVID-19 being spread more by airborne particles than contaminated surfaces. But Cuomo says the closures are necessary. No word on when the New York subway system will return to 24-hour service. Sally Herships, NPR News. A healthcare system has announced today basketball legend Michael Jordan is donating $10 million to launch two medical clinics in underserved communities near his hometown of Wilmington, North Carolina. Novant Health says the clinics are set to open in New Hanover County in early 2022. The Basketball Hall of Fame athlete previously gave $7 million to open clinics in Charlotte. Jordan grew up in Wilmington and went on to play for the University of North Carolina. He then won six NBA championships while playing with the Chicago Bulls. Crude oil futures prices continued to climb today. With U.S. financial markets closed for the holiday, oil picked up 75 cents a barrel to settle at 60.22 a barrel. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. COVID vaccinations will be a bit harder to come by in San Francisco this week. The city is pausing operations at two high-volume vaccination sites due to a supply shortage. Meanwhile, in the Central Valley, reaction to Governor Gavin Newsom's recent visit there has been mixed. The governor announced that a federally supported mass COVID-19 vaccination site would be coming to the region, but he has yet to provide the details. From Fresno, the California reports Alex Hall finds that officials there say they need more than just a site to administer vaccines. They need more of the vaccine itself. There's a community center in the remote, unincorporated town of Lanier, a half-hour's drive south of Fresno that's become a rural hub since the pandemic started. Residents drive down poorly maintained roads through miles of farmland to get here for food distribution, COVID tests, and now vaccine. Table set up at the edge of the parking lot, a man in a flannel shirt pulls out an employer-provided ID, showing he works at a nearby farm. This all came together as of Monday. Veronica Garibay, co-executive director of Leadership Council for Justice and Accountability, says even with the short notice, all 400 appointments for residents 65 and older and food and ag workers of any age filled up. 
We have gotten so many calls of people frustrated, unable to access, don't know where to go. Um, there are no appointments, or if there are, I don't have a way to get there. I don't have transportation. Events like this are part of an effort to vaccinate communities throughout the Central Valley who live in rural areas. Last week, Governor Newsom said a mass vaccination site in partnership with the federal government would be coming to the Central Valley after similar sites were announced in Oakland and L.A. But two days later, during a visit to Fresno that many expected to be the unveiling of a location, the governor stopped short of laying out specifics. We are committed to working with the Biden administration to land on a date because I know you want a date for when we have a mass vaccination site here in the valley and a location. When we have that information, I'll provide it. When asked about the site, spokespeople for FEMA and Cal OES said the federal government has not approved a site in the Central Valley, although conversations with the Biden administration are ongoing. Coming is fine. I'd just rather him come and tell us, hey, we can get you more vaccine. I'd be more happy with that because that's really where we're at. Fresno County Supervisor Buddy Mendez says he thinks the governor overpromised when he announced the mass site and that what the valley needs isn't necessarily more infrastructure. It's the vaccine. Where do we need vaccine? We need it out in the rural areas and in the smaller towns. So of mass vaccination sites, that's not going to that's that's just a big dog and pony show. We have the ability to get the vaccine out. We just need vaccine. It really doesn't help our people. You have to remember, people don't have cars. People don't have money for gas. Freddie Valdez is mayor of Firebaugh, a small town in West Fresno County. Forty five miles. If you don't have a car, how do you get there? You have to take public transportation. You have to rely on the rural county transit. Now, is he going to provide extra transit tokens? Is he going to provide time off of work for individuals to spend half a day going to Fresno, getting vaccine and coming back? On Friday, county health officials said they had not received further updates on the plans for a mass vaccination site in the Central Valley. But this week, Fresno County will get 18,000 doses of the vaccine, a welcome increase from the 8,000 or so doses the county had received in prior weeks. And local officials are hoping the boost in supply sticks. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hint. Water with a touch of true fruit flavor. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. At the end of 2020, the state's unemployment agency froze almost a million and a half accounts in an attempt to prevent fraud. Well, starting today, some of those account holders could have their claims disqualified, even if their applications are legitimate. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin explains why. Late last week, the Employment Development Department confirmed that less than 400,000 of the 1.4 million frozen claims have been verified. Verified means applicants have provided EDD with information to confirm their identities. So right now, there are up to a million claims still in limbo. 
And EDD says they're all subject to disqualification starting today. But just because EDD doesn't have that verification information doesn't mean people haven't been trying to get through. The main platform EDD uses to collect ID info has notoriously long wait times, and EDD even extended the length of the time these applicants had to verify their identities in acknowledgement of those delays. Of the applicants who received verification notices via their unemployment insurance online accounts, EDD says about half haven't even opened the messages. That's no surprise to Amos Lim of Chinese for Affirmative Action, who says some of his clients aren't even aware that they have an inbox attached to their accounts. They'll call him when their payments stop. Then he'll get their permission to log back in to check their account and then find out that, oh, you have 20 emails that you haven't read yet. And then you start reading the email, explaining to them what's happening and then. You know, they're going, why did anybody tell me? EDD has said it is also texting applicants to encourage them to verify. But people can have trouble with these links if they don't have a smartphone. For people who were part of the big account freeze, who worry they may be at risk of disqualification, Daniela Urban, founder of the Center for Workers' Rights, suggests mailing or faxing acceptable identity documents to EDD as soon as possible to at least allow them to say that they have substantially complied with the request for identity verification, even though they didn't comply through the method that EDD was requesting. Applicants can find a list of which ID documents EDD accepts on the agency's website. Those who are disqualified will have appeal rights. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. And that is the California Report for this Monday, February 15th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks for listening and have a very happy President's Day. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrek in for Antonia Gonzalez. A federal judge decided Friday not to temporarily pause a copper mining project that would one day devastate an Apache religious site on federal land in Arizona. Emma Gibson from Arizona Public Media reports. Apache Stronghold, a nonprofit advocating for the preservation of Oak Flat, requested the preliminary injunction last month. And by not issuing it, Judge Stephen Logan leaves the land swap to Resolution Copper unimpeded. In his order, he said the nonprofit is not a sovereign nation and did not have the right to claim the government breached its responsibilities to the Apache people by trading the land. Logan didn't agree with them that the one-day destruction of the site by the mine constitutes a religious rights violation, as the benefits of the site are not government-given. Winsor Nosy Sr., the founder of Apache Stronghold, said he's disappointed, but plans to appeal. For National Native News, I'm Emma Gibson. In Alaska, the former chief and chairman of the Tanana Chiefs Conference has been appointed to a federal task force set up by the Biden administration to ensure all Americans are tested and treated for COVID-19 fairly and equitably. Victor Joseph says he's honored to participate on the COVID task force. KUAC's Tim Ellis reports. Joseph has worked more than 20 years for Tanana Chiefs, including seven as its health director and six as its chief and chairman, a position he held until his second term expired in October. Joseph says his work with the organization contributed to his selection to serve on the task force. My experience over the years with being with healthcare and being in uh, administration, 
A White House news release announcing the task force appointments says the COVID-19 pandemic has, quote, exposed and exacerbated severe and pervasive health and social inequities in America. It says people of color experience systemic and structural racism in many facets of our society and are more likely to become sick and die from COVID-19. Joseph says ensuring equity and providing care for all communities is the task force's central mission. I want to uh, do whatever I can to make sure that there is equity throughout this. The White House says problems with incomplete data that doesn't track race and ethnicity are undercutting COVID testing and treatment in those diverse communities. For National Native News, I'm Tim Ellis in Fairbanks, Alaska. In Vancouver, British Columbia, organizers held a march Sunday honoring missing and murdered Indigenous women. Al Jazeera reports it was the 30th anniversary of the march, which wound through the city's downtown east side with participants singing and banging drums. The first such march was held in 1992 in response to the murder of an Indigenous woman in Vancouver. One of the organizers said the goal of the march has always been to allow the community and families to grieve. Indigenous activists in Canada have been calling for more action against the disproportionate violence faced by their women and girls for decades. Nearly 1,200 Indigenous women were murdered or missing between 1980 and 2012, according to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. But advocates say that number is likely far higher. The CBC reports in Quebec the event was online, but activists held a news conference calling for more concrete action by government officials. Hundreds of recommendations emerged from the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and also from the Vienne Commission in Quebec. Organizers said now it's time for a significant response. Other similar events took place on Sunday, Valentine's Day. Participants braved frigid temperatures in Appleton, Wisconsin and Bemidji, Minnesota to march. An event in Duluth, Minnesota went virtual, but an observation tower over Lake Superior was lit red to bring attention to the issue. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Here is the regional weather forecast. In the Nevada City Grass Valley area, showers are expected this evening until about midnight with overnight lows in the mid-40s. On Tuesday, expect intervals of clouds and sunshine with a high of 49 and a low of 39. The next rain in the forecast for our area is Thursday evening. Tonight in Truckee, rain and snow showers are expected until about midnight with an overnight low of 22 degrees. Partly cloudy skies are expected in Truckee Tuesday with a high of 38 degrees and a low of 14. In Sacramento, expect partly cloudy conditions this evening with an overnight low of 43 degrees. Tuesday in Sacramento is forecast to be partly cloudy with a high of 62 degrees and a low of 39. Ubinet.com reported on its website today that in one month, people ages 16 to 64 with severe health conditions will be eligible to receive the COVID-19 vaccine, if supplies allow, and at the moment, that is a big if. 
According to Ubinet, county public health departments in California plan their clinic appointments a week in advance because they find out about their dose allocations for the next week, late on Tuesday or on Wednesday. The plan for the next week is finalized on Thursdays. Nevada County Health and Human Services Director Ryan Groover told Ubinet that Nevada County Public Health has, quote, more doses scheduled to go into arms next week than on hand. So not only are they all scheduled, we're already scheduling doses that haven't even arrived yet, unquote. Public Health Director Jill Blake added, quote, Because our allocations are different from week to week, there will always be a bit of a lag in what we and other providers have on hand and what we have scheduled, unquote. County health officials have said the limited vaccine supply is expected to loosen up in coming weeks. On Friday, the county launched an appointment-only COVID-19 vaccine clinic in the Whispering Pines Business Park in Grass Valley. The space was provided by Dignity Health's Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital with support from the Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital Foundation. Public health staff will manage the clinic and provide nurses to administer vaccinations. The state of California is also assigning four nurses and five support staff. Director Blake said the new clinic means that when vaccine supplies are available, the county, quote, will be able to get it into the arms of our residents. Until then, we request you remain patient and continue to stay safe, unquote. When available, appointments at the new clinic will be announced via myturn.ca.gov, the statewide system for COVID-19 vaccine access. Drop-ins will not be accepted. The State Department of Public Health issued a directive Friday saying that people ages 16 to 64 affected by severe health conditions will be eligible as of March 15th, as vaccine supplies allow. These conditions include cancer, pregnancy, severe obesity, heart conditions, type 2 diabetes, and other severe life-threatening illness. You can get your questions about COVID-19 and vaccines answered every Thursday at noon when Ubinet hosts a Zoom session with Nevada County officials. Register at the Ubinet website or watch it later on the Ubinet YouTube channel. The state of California reports that as of today, 15,319 Nevada County residents have received at least one dose of the vaccine. After a special meeting of the Nevada County City Council Friday, the council announced it has contracted with Joan Philippe to serve as interim city manager effective today. Former city manager Katrina Olson resigned effective last Thursday after she and the city council mutually agreed to part ways. Nevada City Police Chief Chad Ellis served as acting city manager until Philippe was appointed Friday. Philippe comes to Nevada City as a retired city manager with more than 35 years' experience in local government, including as city manager in Loomis, Calusa, Colfax, and Clear Lake, as well as executive director of the California State Sheriff's Association and assistant city manager in South Lake Tahoe. Since retirement, she has provided interim management and consulting services. The council announced that Philippe's contract with the city will run until the council fills the position with a permanent manager. It anticipates this to take about six months. 
A woman was rescued from Wolf Creek Saturday night after the UTV she was driving was swept downstream, the Union newspaper reported today. At about 7 p.m. Saturday, firefighters from Cal Fire Higgins Station and other personnel responded to a request for a water rescue. Upon arrival, firefighters saw a utility terrain vehicle that had been swept down rain-swollen Wolf Creek while its driver was trying to cross. A rescue team member reached the woman, fitted her with a personal flotation device, and helped her back to shore. She was medically evaluated and released at the scene, according to a Cal Fire news release. We end today's newscast with the topical poem of the week from Dr. Seneca Lofton, who talks about how he copes with the everyday stresses of garden variety racism and oppression. You are now tuned in to the one and only Dr. Seneca's topical poem of the week. I often analyze ways to preserve my sanity so that I don't go crazy in the dizzying maze of America with its social conditions, racial issues, media spins, widening divisions between people, and the prevalence of misinformation. You're listening to one of those ways now. But let me explore a few other ways that I use to manage my days. In 1961, James Baldwin said, To be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost all the time and in one's work. And part of the rage is this. It isn't only what is happening to you, but it's what's happening all around you and all the time in the face of the most extraordinary and criminal indifference. Baldwin is correct in this analysis. The complexity of the problems is quite clear and simple in the minds of most African Americans that have lived in America for any period of time. However, the same complex arguments in regards to race cannot be simply broken down. Within predominantly white spaces, I'm constantly asked to be the voice of black people. I used to have conflicting feelings whenever I was put into a situation to simply represent blackness in a professional manner. However, we don't occupy enough spaces as a community to avoid opportunities to speak about the conditions of black folks. I just make sure to say that I'm one voice that's speaking on behalf of my community. But I'm extremely careful about how much information I reveal to these audiences. Some information isn't for every audience, and I'm cognizant of the fact that information can be used as a weapon. So what's the protocol for avoiding or blocking out the noise of society? One of the ways I navigate the racial complexity of America is by writing, recording, and performing poetry. This particular show is also a part of defending my sanity and rationalizing the American experiment. The ability to freely express myself through poetry and commentary has been my refuge and my sanctuary for the last 20 years of my life. My brand of poetry is aggressive, topical, and doesn't shy away from the issues. Another way of protecting my sanity is by having a faith in a God that I believe is a liberative force in the world. I believe the Most High is on the side of people who fight against racism, against oppression, and against social injustice. The last and final way I preserve my mind, body, and spirit is by paying attention to my overall health and stress levels. The African-American life is a stressful one, and in many cases a dangerous one to experience, since you're constantly in a battle to simply breathe, live, and go about the business of living for your purpose. In the poem, Praying in a Hot Zone, I try to flesh out a defense of mind, body, and spirit while living in a harmful society. 
now listening to Dr. Seneca's topical poem of the week. Liberty has her ways of forcing me to peek into my hands while sitting in the pews, analyzing dangers that cruise through my neighborhood, waiting for my unfurled wings so they can clip them before I start again. Some engines take on human form and apply pressure. They only need fuel and direction, protecting my own sunlight from men that shoot bluesy arrows or rubber bullets or real bullets or two probes from their hips. You fit the description of someone we're looking for. My skin has the power to change conditions and alter spaces where people feel threatened by my potential to outshine their mediocre efforts to access privilege and historical framework. Like a button they press to ignite a racial superpower tapping into old colonial magic that gives them strength and courage, reconstructing merciless days to boost their self-esteem. They say epic heroes embody the beliefs of their communities, but white sheets and burning crosses are not power sources for greatness. I align with the center or the most high who knows the score, knows my soul, and knows that some frequencies prevent creepers and boogeymen from terrorizing the night and emerging from hostile closets. For more information on this show, make sure to visit www.officialseneca.com. You've been listening to the KVMR Evening News on KVMR-FM in Nevada City. Coming up next, Democracy Now! airing at a special early time tonight, 6.30. And at 7 p.m., host Amy Goodman will be live on KVMR, talking directly to our listeners about the importance of independent media. As Democracy Now! celebrates its 25th anniversary this week, just in time for KVMR's membership drive. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs at 6 p.m. every Monday through Friday. If you'd like your voice heard on the newscast, think about submitting a commentary to news at kvmr.org. Commentary guidelines can be found at our website under the News section. (laughs) 